Yeah, so um, I'm going to share this morning, and I'm going to want to share kind of my heart and part of this. A lot of it's what I actually shared yesterday at a district event, but I'll be honest, I was thinking of our church when I shared, so uh, <laughs> um, we, we've been, uh, I don't know, the Lord's just doing some new stuff. He's doing new stuff, and there's been this shift happening, and, and I just feel like, like we, we, we just need to know who we are, who we are, what we're doing, where we're headed, and, and, and part of where we're going is we need to honor what the Lord is doing and what the Lord has done, okay? And, and, and sometimes we never move forward in life because we fail to honor what He's did and what He's doing because we're always wishing for what He will do next, Okay, and so so we want to uh, we're going to look at some stuff this morning, and honor what the Lord's done in the past, and 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 this will make sense in a second. But what the Lord has done in the past is actually kind of like a permission slip for what He wants to do in the future. Now it'll always look a little bit different, okay? Because the Bible says, and please, there's nothing new under the sun, but but then He also says, "I'm making all things new." So is it is 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 nothing new or is everything new? Yes. <laughs> yes, and somewhere in there is the truth, okay? But I want to look at some few things to just explain, I think, where we're headed, what the Lord's doing, but also to believe for more than we're currently experiencing, okay? And, 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 and what we're experiencing is really amazing, in my opinion, but, but, but I also know there's more. Now, now I want to read this. I'm going to, read, I'm going to do, actually do several readings today. I want to read a quote um, about revival from this author by the name of John Wesley Adams. And uh, he said, Revival from heaven is the holy manifestation of God's presence descending upon the church. Revival restores the activity of the Holy Spirit, His gifts, His power to the church accompanied by extraordinary burdens of prayer, public confession of sin, and exceedingly great joy. So, so when, when he moves, he restores gifts, he restores power, he restores just the move of his spirit. It's like, because, you know, if we could do this without the presence of the Lord, we probably just shouldn't be doing it and join the Kiwanis Club, right? I mean, it's... it's <laughs> and when he shows up, that's when you have people getting burdened for prayer. That's when you have people confessing sin, and they may not stand up here and say, this is what I did, but they'll come and they'll repent and they'll change the way they think. And, and then there'll be people will get filled with joy to where this doesn't feel like a funeral, but it actually feels like a celebration. <laughs> and it's sometimes, sometimes we're in here and it's like, sometimes I'm like, Lord, I feel like we're having too much fun. And people's laughing and carrying up, but it's like where he is is the presence of joy anyway, right? And and so we just go with it. Now, now here's here's why revival is necessary. Revival is necessary not so that we can have a way to do church. Okay, revival comes to bring correction and alignment to the church, uh, co- correcting the moral and spiritual decline of his church. Is actually a quote I had, but he, but he comes and he visits to bring realignment, so it changes the trajectory. Therefore, once the church's trajectory is changed, it brings forth transformation outside of the church. The problem is, is that we've, I say we, there, why we may remain rigid. Come on. 
so not to just change us so we're a better version of it. In the original place, or the first confident in who they are, like you know it, and they're fun to be who they are, and, and, and it's good, it's refreshing. Original them that they were created to be, and know him, and therefore it's an invitation for them to experience the same thing. And so when the Lord sends revival, it's always for his church, and then it spills out into the streets, okay? And so so I just want to do it, and, and it's not a set of meetings. We've said that a lot. It's not a set of meetings. It's not like Wednesday the 21st through, or, or Wednesday through Sunday or Sunday through Wednesday. It's, it's not a set of meetings. It's actually a lifestyle that we're invited into where we're experiencing new mercies every single day, right? Because they're anew every day. And we walk in the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit all the days of our life. And it's like, He's good. I woke up today. I'm going to bless His name. And I'm going to live my life surrendered and yielded to it. I'm going to, this, this is an adjustment. I'm, if I do weird stuff today, this is an adjustment. <laughs> it's harder to do this, by the way. <laughs> so he visits to change us so we look more like him because we actually, like you're a walking billboard for him. And so, so he, he changes you, so you're a walking billboard. And so that, that's why he visits. Now, here's, here is the verse I'd like to use to show you how we can take what he's done in the past and use it for the future. Now, this is not saying that it used to be this way 50 years ago. We need it to be this way 50 years ago. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Because that's actually the very definition of religion. <laughs> that's, that's, that is, that is, and it's, it, 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 I've been gone long enough, I can say stuff like this. But that is, you, you know the picture, the paintings of Jesus that are in like every church in America in the Midwest? The one where he's like sideways, like profile? Like we were one place and it was off center, which like was hard, right? <laughs> on a gigantic wall, off-centered, and nothing else around it. So it's like, it was just like, ah, don't, this is where I'm standing, this is where I'm going to hang it. And if we would have moved that, I promise I probably would have had a phone call from my district superintendent saying, they're ready for you to move out. That's not what I'm talking about here, where we want things to stay the same. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, like, we can look at what he's done and say, he did it once, he can do it again, all right? So, so the verse is out of Revelation 19. And, and it's just a real simple verse. You've probably heard it rattled off before. Revelation 19.10 says this. And actually, so, so this is the angelic encounter with where, 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 where uh, John was, John the Beloved, was taken up into the third heavens, and he had this vision. And he's, he falls down at the feet of this angel, and the angel's like, no, 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 don't worship, don't worship me, worship God. And then he says this. He says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, testimony, it means, quite literally, testimony means witness, or it means uh, 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 firsthand knowledge, firsthand experience. It means reputation. It means, and, and testify means do it again, okay? And so, so it's this reputation, it's what a witness tells. And prophecy, again, it's not like, ooh, prophecy. It's actually inspired utterance. It's, it's speaking what you have heard or what you have seen. And so, so we could literally say this verse that, that the witness of Jesus or, or the reputation of Jesus is the spirit of 
prophecy or is the spirit of things that can come. And so this verse also, like it's like, well, what, what's, what's, what's the, the, the spirit of Jesus or, or what, 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 is that, what does that actually mean? It means that you can look at the life of Jesus and prophesy what's going to happen because you could actually study the life. And like, that's why we pray for divine healing because as we are or as he is, so are we right now, right? So, so if he did something, we believe that those things could happen because he actually said pray for greater things or believe for greater things. But, but, but also, so we can look at his life as something like, well, the, the, the blind saw. So we can pray for blind people and see them healed. But also, you could look at his activity in his people and use that as a prophetic utterance. So, 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 in, other words, so in other words, if someone gets a breakthrough uh, financially, they can begin to pray for people to receive a breakthrough financially because it's a testimony of what happened. And like he's not like, I just picked it for you and no one else. That's not what he desires it to do. It's like whatever happens with you all it belongs to me as well. Like I want to believe for it. And so, 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 so then it's not only looking at Jesus, it's looking at the activity of Jesus in and through his people. So, so I say all that. Past moves of God are a prophetic picture of what the Lord desires to do in this hour. All right? <laughs> like our, one of my favorite prayers is, is Habakkuk 3.2. Lord, we've heard of your deeds. We know of your fame. Repeat them in our day. It's like we wanted to move from um, 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 reading about it to experiencing it. Now, so, so let's look at this really quick. I say really quick. I don't know why I say that. I don't want to lie. Uh, I'm going to look at the very first of what I say New Testament revival, and that's in Acts chapter 2. Now, and so, because I'm going to talk about like Cane Ridge and the Hebrides revivals this morning, but I want to talk about Acts first. That way, you know, like, you know, it's just so we know what to believe. But anyway, Acts 2, we know that they were in the upper room, 120 were praying. And, and they prayed for 10 days, and the Holy Spirit came like there was like the sound of a violent rushing wind, and tongues of fire distributed themselves upon each one of them. And so they all got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you get to later on in chapter 2, and right here, verse 15, like the, the crowd comes and they think, y'all's a bunch of drunk people. That's what they thought. They thought that they were drunk. And Peter, he stands up, he said, these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. It's like way too early for that. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days. God says that I will pour forth my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will, I will pour out my spirit on them, and they will prophesy. So, so imagine this. They're in this upper room. They come down like the Holy Spirit just, boom, whacks them. And they come out, and they're all talking in different languages. And it just bewilders everyone around them. And, and, and then the people's like, you all must be drunk. And they're going, no, we're not drunk. This is that what Joe prophesied about. Now, 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 like that, I don't think, like this has just hit me here recently how important that phrase is. He says, this is that. Yeah. And, and what was that? Joel, they would have known, they would have known that because that was Old Testament. They would have known that the Old Testament prophet said that he will pour his spirit all out on not 120, but all flesh. Yeah. 
So, so when Peter stands up and says, we're not drunk, this is that. Like, either, either Peter's a lunatic and doesn't know math, because all flesh is much different than 120, <laughs> or he really did receive a measure of something that the Lord had intended to pour out from the very get-go. And I think it's a picture of this. I think it's a picture that we despise. The Bible says, don't despise the days of small beginnings. And so, so Peter's like, no, no, no. We were up there for 10 days. This is that. What we have been looking for and waiting for, it happened. And then 3,000 people got saved. So, so what does it look like practically for us? It's like, I mean, we were here It's the, this past Wednesday and then two Wednesdays before that because we had an off week because of traffic and weather and all that stuff. It was just dumb. But anyway, like we had two prayer meetings where we had a handful of people in here. You could have counted everyone on one hand, no joke. And the Lord came in a way that like I like, wow. I'm not telling you I have to make you feel good to come to prayer meeting. I just think you want, if you can come, come, great. But, but anyway, I'm, I'm saying he came in such a degree, and, I could, and it would have been really easy because the propensity has been like, oh, there's only five. You know? Or it was like, man, this was that that we've been asking the Lord for, right? And so, so the Bible says don't despise the day of small beginnings. You could take it to like even like when, when newlyweds first get married and all this stuff. Like, like, and, and even young kids, it's like they, we, we looked, and I'm saying I looked at what my mom and dad had. They had a house, they had cars, they had all these things, and I didn't want to wait for it. I wanted it right then, right? And, and, but what I didn't understand was that they had a day of small beginnings where they were working odd jobs, they were working hard, they were putting money in the bank, they were building their credit up, all these types of things. And, and, and I, did, I wanted to go past that. I just wanted it right then and there. I didn't want to wait. And, and I, think, I think that sometimes because we live in a society where it's like bigger, 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 now, 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 that we despise the day of small beginnings and therefore we miss out on what the Lord wants to do. Because I think that Peter, if he'd have been like, well, Jesus showed himself to 500 believers before he ascended to heaven after he rose from the grave. If I would have saw a dead man raised and living again, I'd been like, dude, I'm just following you everywhere and I'm doing exactly what you say. I'm serious. I would have. But he showed himself to 500 people and only 120 were in the upper room. And, and, and like Peter could have easily been like, well, yeah, he came, but there's only 120 of us. I don't think that 3,000 would have given their life to the Lord that day and which would have set the course to, for really the fall of the Roman Empire and the rise of Christianity to what it is today. I don't think that would have happened. And so, which has made me ask over this last week, it's like, how many times does me, as a pastor, as a Christian, see the Lord do something small in seed form, because that's what He typically does, and I did not appreciate it for what it was, and therefore I forfeited what He wanted to do in the future. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, 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 this is just where I've been. It's just where I've been. And so I'm like, man, Lord. <laughs> like, I look around, and, and I like our worship team went, vomp, and caught a song. And the Lord just, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. 
But the Lord, they grabbed a song and like just felt people just start to worship. Or even like there was a point in time in worship when little Michaela was really singing out loud in the back. And it was like, whew, felt the wind of the Holy Spirit in that moment. So, so, so what if I'm in like, I was just a kid singing? No. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. <laughs> so, 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 so what if that little girl has something inside of her that we all need? So, so I'm like, maybe I, I had a thought, maybe this is that, Lord. Maybe this is that. Maybe when she sang out loud and I turned around and giggled because I was so, it was loud. Maybe I had the thought, Lord, maybe this is that. See, we don't want to despise what the Lord's doing. We want to be thankful for what he's doing and, and steward it for expansion and increase. Okay. So. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, all right. Revivals are marked by extraordinary prayer. So I'm going to move to like some modern day stuff here. Uh, and I told, I told this group, we had like 50 people crammed into this teeny room. It was awesome because like I was like spitting on the back row. Like they were so close. It was awesome. Um, and it was sweaty. <laughs> It was hot. But I told him, like, these are just some of my favorites. And, like, I, I, I just, there's some that I've studied that I just really love and enjoy. But the first one is a Hebrides revival. This happened in 1949 to 1952. And, and this was off the coast of Scotland on some islands. And um, now, now this is where I think is significant because it was marked by extraordinary prayer. This revival started off with a group of seven people praying every night. Front. They went in at 10 p.m. I'm not saying have a prayer meeting at 10 p.m., but this is what they did. They had seven people that would meet every night for 10 p.m., and they met for almost eight months. Sometimes they would pray till 4 or 5 in the morning. I'm like, man, I've gotten up to pee like three times in that, like in that time frame, and they're like out there crying out for the Lord to move. And, and so, so, so here's a small band of people praying for the Lord to send revival to their islands, and they prayed this one verse, and you all should know it. And if my people are called by my name and humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and, and will forgive their sin, and I will hear, heal their land. Now, they prayed this verse over and over and over because this is a verse like, really, forgive us so that you can save them. That's, that's what that verse is. Forgive us so you can save them and heal the land. Yeah. Okay? And now, now, they had prayed this, and this is what's fascinating to me. There was a nameless farmer. I think when we get to heaven, and, like, there's degrees of it here. We pray on it. But more, I think we're going to see, there's going to be people with some really close seats, if you will, to the throne that we've never even heard about them. Because they were tucked away when no one else was looking and spent much of their life talking to the Lord. A nameless farmer, he prayed this. He stood up in this prayer meeting, and I'm just going to read it verbatim. He said, Lord, you made a promise. Are you going to fulfill it? Like, I'm, like, 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 that's bold in my opinion. I mean, how do you go to Yahweh, the creator of the universe, and say, you made a promise. Are you going to fulfill it? We believe that you're a covenant-keeping God. Will you be true to your covenant? 
You have said that you will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Lord, I know these ministers stand in your presence, but if you know my heart I know and, and know where I stand, I tell thee or I tell you that I am thirsty. Oh, I am thirsty for a manifestation of your presence and power. And then he says, he pauses, is what the article said. He pauses and said, and Lord, before I sit down, I want to tell you that your honor is at stake. Like, I'd, be, I'd be scared to death to pray that. <laughs> he prayed that in the middle of the night. The very next day is when revival hit their islands. And... And this is what's amazing, is like just this is where we get the activity of Jesus in God's people and get to believe it for today, because this is what happened literally. The bars on the island closed down. Every single bar on all the islands closed down. Every tavern closed down. There was no business to be made, all right? There's stories. There's stories like the Lord came and they started having services in all the churches, but there's stories of, of people like in their horses going down the, the gravel or dirt roads and they see people laying on their faces in the middle of nowhere and they get off their horse to check and see if they're okay and the people are, and, and they're like, are you all right? And there's tears streaming down their face. And they said, we don't know what happened, but we just felt God's presence and we had to repent and give our life to him. No one preached to him. No one said anything to him. They were not in a church service. God visited him. This would be like God visiting people on the corner of Preston Highway and the outer loop and people pulling their cars over and just laying down on the ground and repenting. Now, like, like, and some of this seems like pretty far-fetched, but it's historical accounts of what the Lord did. And this is only 70 years ago. This is right after World War II. And so it's not, it's not out of the realm to, pot, to, to like, it's like, I have a hard time believing it, but whoa. And so there's a count all over the island. Now, this is what's fascinating, and here's what the warning is too, by the way. And I don't know that we really have this problem, but, but one of the things that happened is there was a minister that kind of, he didn't really lead the thing because in the Hebrides revival, it was a lay-led revival. That's why I like it. Because it wasn't a preacher that everyone came to hear. It was, it was you getting filled with the Spirit and telling everyone about it. It was you getting filled and telling everyone about it, okay? And so it was just everyone telling everyone about it. But they had organized church. You need that. And they had, they had apostolic leaders leading, all these things. But they had this man, and he said this. The guy that kind of oversaw it, he said this that there was only one town in their entire island chain that did not get a visitation from the Lord. And it was a town that had two missionaries living in it that had been there for years that were opposed to what the Lord was doing. Like, I like, and so I think that's a picture of the religious getting offended and just the Holy Spirit's like, fine, boop, we'll move to the next town. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy at all. And so it's just this beautiful picture of what the Lord does, all right? So it's marked by prayer. The next thing that most of revivals are marked by um, is extreme or extraordinary hunger and thirst for the Lord. Um, I want to talk about, for, for a few minutes, Cane Ridge 
revival, Cane Ridge, Kentucky. Um, this is like in our backyard. Um, this is, would be about 20 miles away from Lexington is where this happened. And um, uh, do you want to say what, like, April was up one night, couldn't sleep, and, like, she just read and read and read. And I'm, I wake up, I wake up, like, to get ready for my day and get e and Ethan off for school. And, like, April pounces on me and was just like, did you just know this? Do you want revival service um, it was by word of mouth and it started with one person with one woman at a service in a very where people did not raise their hands and say you know amen it was quiet in this one woman lord you've got to do something and she did not care that she offended um so much and it started with that one woman and it was a bunch of revivals because like when I was reading about it, um, like testimonies were of like about what the Lord was doing, and and it talked about you know these crazy, you know when the Lord comes. It does not look like what we think it's going to look like. In fact, it looks totally different. We're on church stumps and preaching, and just you know, I mean, it went on for months and months. And it was so loud that people that did not believe in the Lord, people that were atheists, that said that they were so fearful because of the sounds that were coming. And it just moved me so much because I thought, here we are. We are in Kentucky. We are in a place where this happened. And I want it to happen again. And when you go onto this property, there are people that have begged to be buried there because they remember what Cane Ridge revival was. And so you go and there are literally gravestones up against the um, the sidewalks because people have just wanted to be buried there because they remembered that's when this second great awakening occurred. And, um, and that's actually how a lot of different churches started because they refused to just continue on because they had tasted and seen. So and, and they could not deny what the Lord had done, and there were healings, and they're just, um, and these were people that had no grid, had no exposure to that, but that's just the Lord, and so, um, yeah, it just, I read a lot about it, um, just because the Lord just started stirring in my heart, um, about the restoration, and just how even if little girls that were seven-year-old, seven years old, um, that, you know, people were so exhausted from just, you know, just really just crying out and, um, and how these girls were just speaking. And it was like, it was not that they were speaking, you know, from a child. It was that the Lord just gave them, I mean, just such authority. Yeah. And it just um, was beautiful. We, I mean, we, I could see myself there. Yes. You know, it just was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. It, it was incredible. It was incredible going out. And if you haven't been out there, it'd just be fun to go take a day. I mean, it's not much. I mean, it, but, but, but what was wild to, to me was, okay, first of all, there were over 25,000 people that went to this thing. 
okay? And this is right outside of Lexington. Uh, 25,000 people went to this thing. It, it's an hour from Shelbyville, and we're in my little renegade driving these back country roads, and like, we're comfortable in my car, but it wasn't an easy drive for us. I mean, it was all kinds of turns and just all this stuff. And, and, I, and, and the thought occurred to me, 25,000 people in horse and buggy <laughs> and, and roads that aren't paved went to this place because they heard that the Lord was there. And like, it's just mind-boggling. It's also fascinating. April said that it was solemn type of assemblies. They had silent communion services is what this broke out of. And I thought, we just came out of a season of communion. And what would it look like if the Lord began to visit? The other thing she mentioned is the seven-year-old little girl. Now, what's wild is 25,000 people's there, and there were so many people in the fields that they had multiple preachers all over the, like, stand up on a stump, preach. And if you're in hearing distance, that's who you're listening to, okay? And so this little girl, she gets hit by the Holy Spirit, and her daddy picks her up and he puts them on her shoulders, is what the first-hand account says. And she preached and prophesied for so long that she got physically exhausted. Now, some people are like, how does that happen? That she, like, passes out. But I'm like, I know when, like, I really get into, like, heavy environments and minister, like, all I want to do is sleep when I'm done. And so here's a seven-year-old girl that doesn't know the word, starts preaching the gospel to people because she has this radical encounter with the Lord. And then I started thinking, well, well, you know, we're, the, it would be like 25,000 people coming to my neighborhood in Shelbyville. It would be like 25,000 people coming out to your little two acres of land, okay? Because it wasn't much more acreage where the buildings were out, out there in Eastview. It would be like 25,000 people and us just worshiping the Lord and everyone getting touched. And not just a little bit, but like, that's a good service, but rearranging our life and doing whatever we could do to get into that thing. And it really was the birth of the modern-day revival movement. And so, so here's this picture, and I, I started thinking, I was like, what would it look like? All right, so really that seven-year-old little girl has been really heavy on my heart. And so I'm like, God, what would it look like if our kids got filled that way? Like, what would it look like if my 15-year-old started preaching the gospel at his high school? And what would it look like if our baby that's on the way did the same thing, right? Or what would it look like for your kid and, and the other kids who's going to eventually come? Like, I started thinking about that and thinking, you know what? They have the same Holy Spirit that we have. And what would it look like if they started preaching? One of the markers of the Cane Ridge Revival, too, was sinners crying out for mercy. Not just, I mean, anyway, I just think it's just incredible. And this is in our backyard. And so then it's like, why would the Lord move in Kentucky? Because, like, if you look, like, study where modern churches are, the two largest states, or the two states with more mega churches, there's actually three, but Florida, Texas, and Oklahoma have more mega churches in those states than anywhere else. So you would think revival would come through that. But the Lord likes to use the least of these. <laughs> the Lord likes to use the weak, the shame, the wise. So why couldn't we believe that he's going to move like this in our day in our own state, right, to bring forth? Now, let me do this last one. And, and this last one, there's all kinds of stuff on the Cane Ridge. It's just fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me. Uh, uh, revivals are also marked by extraordinary transformation. By the way, it's very dangerous to get in the Lord's presence and resist him transforming you. You're going to be miserable. <laughs> All right. So Welsh Revival, 1904, uh, um, uh, occurred. And this one really kind of shaped, transformed the world. 
But Evan Roberts was the minister that kind of oversaw the thing. And he was in a prayer meeting and he heard someone pray this, Lord, bend me. And then now this is his firsthand account of being so moved by that prayer. He said, I felt a living power pervading my bosom. It took my breath away and my legs trembled exceedingly. And this living power became stronger and stronger as each one prayed. By the way, when we were at Cane Ridge, like our, our leg, like my legs just shook. And it wasn't because I was cold. It was like the Lord was there. This living power became stronger and stronger as each one prayed until I felt it would tear me apart. My whole bosom was a turmoil. If I had not prayed, it would have burst. I fell on my knees with my arms over the seat in front of me. My face would bathe in perspiration and tears flowed in streams. I cried out, bend me, bend me. It was God's commend, commending love which bent me, which, by the way, is amazing. Evan Roberts says that when the Lord bent him, it wasn't because the Lord chastised him. It was because the Lord loved him. And so when we, it's like when we correct our kids, we don't correct our kids because we want to be mean. We correct our kids because we love them and care for them. All right? And so he, he said it was the Lord's commending love which bent me. What a, lay, what a wave of peace that came over me. I was filled with compassion for those who must bend at the judgment, and I wept. Following that, the salvation of the human soul was solemnly impressed upon me. I love how they used to talk. and He said, I felt ablaze with the desire to go through the length and breadth of Wales and tell of the Savior. So the Welsh revival, it happens like he, he, he prays this, he hears someone pray it, and then he gets the burden, he prays it, revival breaks out, and in the first six weeks, 20,000 people give their life to Jesus. And then six months later, 100,000 people had given their life to the Lord out of this little group of people. By the way, all these were little groups of people that the Lord used to impact great big. And I think, what, we're a little group of people. What would it look like if the Lord visited us in such a way, right? And we're in a metropolitan area. And so anyway, so 100,000 people gave their life to the Lord in six months. Here's, what's, here's, here's a fascinating fact is this, is that crime got so low that the police officers had nothing to do. Had nothing to do. So the police officers are like, well, what are you going to do? And they're like, well, I don't know. There's church going on. They're like, hey, you want to form a choir? <laughs> and so they had, poli- this is why they had police officer choirs that would go from church to church to do like choir specials, if you will. And then, and then I got to the point where there's so many police officers doing all these things at all these places. Then it says that, that they just said, well, they couldn't get in to sing. And so like, well, I guess we'll be ushers. And so they would, I guess they park people's buggies and horses. I don't know if you park a horse, but anyway, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I don't know if you park a horse or what, but they, they took those things and, and they, they, did, they did the ushing, whatever that looks like. And they helped guide people in traffic for the churches because everything closed down. There's accounts, there's an account in the newspaper that actually crime got so low. I'm going to read this verbatim because this was on the front page. There was such a great fear of God, a conviction of sin that gripped the people that in some communities crime disappeared. Judges were presented with a blank piece of paper. So it was like this. The judge shows up to the job today, to the courthouse, and he's like, what cases am I trying today? And they're like, well, here's a blank sheet of paper. There's nothing on there. So it's like he's going to sit there and twiddle his thumbs all day. And to commemorate it, they actually gave the judge white gloves because it was a sign and a wonder to say, like, the there's nothing, there's nothing wrong that's going on, right? This is in the front page of the newspaper that happened. <laughs> 
Oh, oh, and this was wild too. I thought, Lord, this would be wild. This would solve America's debt problem. All right, listen, in more than one place in the islands, the post office's supply of money orders, of money order blanks, were exhausted as people sought restitution by paying off their debts. And so, like, like, I'm not saying you need to do that, but people got so convicted that they actually went to the post office and started writing, paying off all of their debts because the only one that they wanted to be a debtor to was Jesus. And like, it's just this incredible, incredible thing that he did. And bars and theaters closed while stores were sold out of Bibles and Testaments. Members of Parliament who were busy attending revival services postponed their elections and postponed political meetings. Hallelujah, right? Be like, praise the Lord. Theatrical companies coming in the districts found no audiences. So it'd be like the playhouses. They would have the play and no one would show up because they were all in revival. <laughs> all the world was praying. I, I, I just tell you that, like, I tell you some of these stories, and I could go on and on and on, but if the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy... Meaning, if the work of Jesus in his people prophesies that he could do it again, and he's the same today, yesterday, and forever, so he has not changed, right? What could we start asking the Lord to do? Ephesians says that he could do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. I have a hard time imagining most of the stuff I just said. A seven-year-old preaching the gospel or the judge putting on the white gloves. But if that's what I can barely imagine, if he can do exceedingly abundantly more than, than that point right there, what in the world could the Lord do if he visited his people? And so I, I just want to be like, I just want us to raise our faith, if you will, right? Now, here's what's incredible, and this is the challenge, is that it's not enough for revival to visit us. It then eventually flows through us. That's John 7, 37 and 38, which says this, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried, saying, If anyone is thirsty... Like I've always read that, I always missed the part that he said he cried out. I always thought he said, If anyone's thirsty... That's not what he said. He said, if anyone's thirsty, it'd be like if you're in a room, and I don't know if you've ever been like at a cafeteria, and you stood up on the chair or table and yelled something out, like I did it as a teenager, right? And everyone's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if anyone's thirsty, everyone stops what they're doing. He says, let them come to me and drink. And then he says this, He who believes in me, out of, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And so, so the invitation is this. We start asking the Lord to visit and to move. When we ask Him to do that, He responds and, and, and He begins to flow through us. The problem is this, is we want Him to flow through, let me say, we want Him to flow through us the rivers of living water and get people saved, healed, delivered, sanctified, and set free. And He says, I'm just waiting on you to be thirsty for me. <laughs> if you're thirsty, come and drink. 
And then if you're thirsty, once you drink, then you're going to drink to the point to where it flows out of you. And he says rivers. It's plural. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what the Lord desires to do. I actually heard someone teach this the other day, that in the Garden of Eden, that there are four rivers that flowed in the Garden of Eden. And in your heart, there's four chambers of your heart. Your innermost being is actually your heart, is what the Scripture says. So therefore, you have four rivers flowing out of you at any given point, as long as you stay thirsty. And I think, Lord... Like, I think we're a hungry group of people, but I think I could be more thirsty. I want to see you move, and I'm like, but I know I could be more thirsty. There's, 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 days, that, there's days where I don't pray as much as I would like to. Let's, and it's not a guilt, shame, or condemnation thing. But I, I, I know my own spiritual walk with Jesus. Some days I do better than I do others. Some days I get phone calls that I was not expecting. Some days I get distracted. Some days I get bad news and it kind of throws me off kilter, right? Or some days I feel sick or wore out or tired. And he just says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And then, and only then, will rivers of living water flow from you. And I just want to be a church that just keeps coming to Him and drinking and keeps coming to Him and drinking and be a people that comes to Him and drinks. And then we'll see the Lord move. Like, like, like it doesn't matter how many revival series we put. It doesn't matter if we put it on the back of our shirts. It doesn't make a hill of beans if we do all kinds of clever branding and advertising. It doesn't mean squat unless we come to Him and drink. And I don't say that anger. I just say that is just the truth. And if we want to see the Lord move in our day, it's going to take more than just a handful of us. It's going to take more than one or two of us. I promise you, every person in this room, it's, it's going to take a unified effort of seeking the Lord together to see the Lord move in an unprecedented manner in our days. Now, this is the thing we got to be leery of, is it will not look. Granted, things happen in Cane Ridge, the Welsh. Things happened in the early 1900s. There was a prayer movement that broke out. It will probably look similar, but totally different. And we've got to be okay when the Lord shows up in a different way. Got to be okay when the Lord shows up in a different way. And because, because though there's nothing new under the sun, right, as we said earlier, and behold, He's making all things new. It's somewhere in there in which He moves, and we've got to be okay. One of the biggest proponents or one of the biggest hindrances to revival, you've heard me say this before, is that we look at what God did at the last church service, and we expect Him to do it the exact same way. That's the temptation week in and week out. It's like, what songs did we sing? What order did we do? When did I kind of come up and interject and give a quick little little word right and and what time what you know all these types of things and we try to plan it down and then we do it in the exact same way and you get completely different results it can't be that way it can't be that way it's just walking in intimacy with them Brett I I want you to come on up here bud (laughs) I just want us to believe for more I just want us to be filled with hope like well, and, 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 and I told the group of people yesterday the reason why I like those three that I shared because they all three started with groups of people less than 50. And most of them were all lay-driven in the sense that they had famous ministers in it. But it was the people. It was the people drove that thing the Hebrides actually said that there were no preachers I read this quote it said there were no preachers except for everyone was a preacher (laughs) 
So the newspaper said, there's no preachers in this revival except for everyone's a preacher. It doesn't mean you're going to go stand on the street corner and, you know, whatever. You're not going to about fail. You're not going to do that. But the way you live your life day in and day out, man, the, like you can tell when someone's eyes have fire in them. You can tell. You can see the, the glow, if you will. And you're like, oh, they've been with Jesus. You can see it. I just want us to experience more. I think this is what we were made for. We were made for more. We were made to experience more. And I just happen to think that we are, this is like the least likely place for this, the Lord to do it, which makes us the most likely place for him to do it. <laughs> I'm going to pray. And we don't do this too often here, and the Lord's been correcting me on that too. I feel like I kind of got beat up last week. Make sure I get it right, Lord. I'd like to pray that the Lord raises our expectations of belief. That we don't read stuff like that and think, man, that's just, that's nice. That's a fairy tale, because it's not. Like, um, um, goodness the New York Times reported in some of the accounts that I gave you so it, it's it's not like they're coming from from Meemaw you know in the holler it's it's coming from credible sources I'm sure Meemaw in the holler is very credible but you understand I like to pray the Lord raise our sense of expectation. I like to pray the Lord would like us to start to say, Lord, this is what I have faith for, and you can do exceedingly abundantly more than that. So what does that look like? I like to pray for that. And then I felt like very strong. That's why I hit it so hard. I feel like that the Lord's just asking this too. That John 7, 37 and 38 that I hit. Is anyone thirsty? I feel like the Lord. I say I feel like the Lord. I just felt in the room that some of us haven't been as thirsty as we probably ought to be. And that's not a condemnation thing. That's actually an invitation from the Lord. Because he's saying I'm still here to drink from. pray for that too when every head let's do this yeah every head bowed every eye closed if you're thirsty and know the Lord's telling you that or and you need a drink I want you to just raise your hand up this morning if that's you just me looking around I see I see I saw I see four talks about him coming to the well and he is the well that if you drink from you'll never have to thirst again and so I'll just tell you this those that raised your hand that the Lord is going to answer that prayer 
Lord will answer that because he desires to do that. So I say thank you, Jesus, for those that said they are thirsty. I pray you begin to meet their needs right now. I pray you give them an insatiable thirst, Lord. Lord, if they were on fire for a while, other language we use, if they were on fire for a while and aren't as on fire now as they used to be, I pray you help them. Not even help them. I pray that you would empower them to walk this out, to seek after you, to chase after you. Then I pray, Lord, you begin to surprise them by letting rivers of living water flow out of their heart. <laughs> it may be in all different directions. It may be with friends. It may be with family. It may be with co-workers. It may be with just lost people. There's four rivers, by the way. Friends, family, co-workers, lost people. I pray that you would allow those rivers to begin to flow from them. Because once the river begins to flow, you're going to, it's going to make you more thirsty. <laughs> And if you're more thirsty, the river's going to flow. And if the river flows, you're going to be more thirsty. It's just a cycle. So I pray, Lord, you take all of us deeper, not just those that raise their hand. Now I'm going to pray for this, Lord. I want to pray, Lord, that you increase our faith this morning. We still got every head bowed and every eye closed, and I'm just doing it different today. But I would ask, before I pray a general prayer for all of us, I wonder who in the room would just say, Lord, Michael read those stories and some of them seem so far-fetched that I don't even think it's possible. I wonder if anyone would say, Lord, I want you to help me to believe that really nothing is impossible for you. And again, this isn't a guilt, shame, or condemnation thing, but that's you. I, I just, again, eyes closed, head bowed. I want you to put your hand up. And I just, I want to see so I know how to pray for our people. That's you. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So I'm going to say, Lord, increase our faith this morning. Help us to help us to honor what you've done in the past. Help us to honor what you're doing right now by not despising the day of small beginnings to where we could say this is that <laughs> so that we could see the next move of the Lord. Help us, Lord, to really believe that nothing's impossible. Oh, man. That no financial situation is impossible. That no family situation is impossible. That no health situation is impossible, Lord. Even here, I'm just going to pray this out. I say, Lord, roll away Bob Stone right now as well. <laughs> roll away Bob Ruddick's kidney stone, Jesus. I say, make us believe bigger, God. Help us to believe bigger. Help us to really think nothing is impossible for God. Help us to come to the point where we say nothing is impossible for him who believes, Lord. Lord, I want to see our kids stand up and preach the gospel. I want to see our kids stand up and prophesy. I want to see our kids get words of knowledge and just rock people's worlds with it. I want to see them move in the things of the Spirit. I also want to see it with our adults as well. I want to see you with our adults as well, Lord. I, I want to see what it looks like to have a church that's fully undignified, just like David was in their worship, Lord. 
I want to see a people that doesn't is not concerned about anything whatsoever other than responding to the very next thing that you have told them to do, Jesus. And Lord, I want to see you move in our, like, I just want to see real revival, God. We've seen glimpses, we've seen glimmers, but I want to see and be, I want to be part of something. Or I want my children or children's children to be part of something that's written about in the course of history, Lord. Not so, not so that we could say, look at us, but so that we can say we were part of that move of the Lord. We're part. Lord, if I'm just a cupbearer in it, I'm okay with that. <laughs> so, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. You're taking us deeper. I, I feel like I feel like there's a great big shift that's been happening here in the church. I can't wait to see what you do. I pray that you would help us in the last thing. Let the rivers flow through us, God. Let, let, let the river flow through us, God. Let those rivers flow through. I would pray, God, that mm, I think part of the river flowing through is us not being ashamed to say where we go. <laughs> I think, I think part, of the, part of the river is us not being ashamed of what we do. I think part of the river is just being okay being the, probably the craziest person in the room at any given moment. And it's not even crazy. It's just being a spirit-filled believer. So I say, let it flow, God. Let our people begin to experience you move in ways that they've never experienced you move. Let our people begin to lay hands on the sick and let them see him recover. Let our people get so burdened to start blessing people and strangers, God, without leaving a business card or a calling card. Let, let, <laughs> let our kids begin to proclaim your goodness at school, God, or in their day-to-day -day life, God. Let, let us start to see that river flow, God. Let us start to see... Let us start to see us share our faith with family. I pray for opportunities to pray with family members that would usually be offended at the fact that we prayed for them, God. <sighs> I don't know what else to pray, Lord, so I just say yes to everything you want to do. Wow. I just say yes to everything you Jesus praise church.